At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Looking for a fun way to win 25 times your money this football and basketball season? Test your skills on Prize Picks, the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Just select two or more players, pick more or less on their projection for a wide variety of stats, and place your entry. It's as easy as that. If you have the skills, you can turn $10 into $250 with just a few taps. Easy gameplay, quick withdrawals, and injury insurance on your picks are what make Prize Picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. Ready to test your skills? Join the Prize Picks community of more than 7 million players who have already signed up. Right now, Prize Picks will match your first deposit up to $100. Just visit prizepicks.com/play100 and use code play100. That's code play100 at prizepicks.com/play100 for a first deposit match up to $100. Prize Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to episode 45 of the Uncovered Podcast. I'm Baram Kazi. You can find me at Def Mango on Twitter. And with me is Jared Kimber. You can find him all across the board. And Jared, West Indies versus India up first. Now, the last time we spoke about this T20 series, the West Indies were 2-0 up. And then India in the Florida leg of this T20 series managed to draw level 2-2. But the West Indies ultimately came out with a 3-2 victory. Now, they haven't had much to write home about of late and not a lot of things to celebrate. So this is something that surely will provide them with some sort of respite and definitely restore some belief, right? Yeah, I think, look, if nothing else, they, they probably just needed something after the World Cup games, right? The qualifiers. Hmm. They just needed something. Um, you know, no one thinks that India is taking this series massively um, seriously, mm-hmm. and I'm sure we'll come to India uh, in a moment. But, you know, Puran making some runs is, you know, one side of things. You know, Hetmeyer answering the phone again is another one. It's just some <laughs> of their better... Hetmeyer catching his flight catch, as well. Catching his flight, yeah. Being <laughs> on his flight. Um, you know, so there's, a, I think from that perspective, just a few small things like that where you're just like, okay, well, you know... All things considered, they actually played some cricket. They were there. They, you know, did what they were supposed to do. They've got to take some wins out of that, right? I, I, mm-hmm. I mean, I don't think it's going to change the trajectory of West Indian cricket. It is funny, of course, after uh, one notable Twitter person said that West Indies should split up. I'm not sure <laughs> if India should split up into 26 states uh, to play not their T20 cricket, but it's worth discussing. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Absolutely. No, they won the T20 series. They won an ODI. They drew a test. So, hey, I mean, I'm 
pretty sure that Antigua and Barbuda would not have managed to do that. But anyway, oh, moving wait, forward, wait a you... minute, just on that, have we worked out who would win this series if it was done under the women's ashes point system? <laughs> oh, I think actually, it's still India, but it's, I don't. Hmm. I don't think it's massively India. Yeah, India still won more games, right? Maga- yeah. But uh, I think you, the West you get Indies- a lot of points for the test. I think in the women's hmm. ashes, so I think they still get that. But the point is yeah. that it is hilarious that we started there. We ended here. Yeah, it's absolutely hilarious, and I think uh, Vikrant Gupta owned up to it too. On a show, he said he was embarrassed that he said that because the West Indies are now winning. So we'll cut him some slack as well. Anyway, you mentioned Nicholas Puran. He had a lot of impact in this series and ended up as the leading run scorer. Also, is in quite good form with that, you know, cerebral ton in the MLC final. And then Akil Hussain is another impact player for the West Indies in the series, who got rid of Jaiswal and Gill early in the last game. Now, both of these guys, we've both spoken about them previously, and we've both said that they are definitely your above-average players in this West Indies squad. Moving forward, you know, with the T20 World Cup coming up next year, do you see both of these? Two players, Akilah Sen and Nicholas Puran, being pivotal to their hopes of maybe winning a third title? Yeah, I, they won't win. Uh, <laughs> uh, so, no, I don't see them being pivotal. But, yeah, look, I mean, if you can't get the most out of Puran, at a certain point, you almost do need to shut up the shop mm-hmm. and, and start again. Do you know what I mean? Or you need to rebuild or whatever. Because yeah. he's so good. If you can't get anything out of him, and Hetmeyer isn't playing consistently, it's like, yeah. God, what do you even do? Right? Um, so, I've, you know, I've followed him a lot. I, I'm really interested in if this is just another flare-up or if he's actually finally developed his game. I mean, he must be, he must be coming to that age where batters mature, which is, mm. essentially means they know exactly what their strengths and weaknesses are as much as mm-hmm. anything. And they know not to overextend themselves. And they also know how to keep the engine ticking over on, on, on the games when you're not batting as well. If he's reached that level, then that should mean over the next four to five years, we see the best of Nicholas Perrin. And for those who saw that early peak of Nicholas Perrin, that's incredibly exciting. Like, he's just such a brilliant striker. So I would hope that that's what we see. We see, you know, the next four or five years of him just being absolutely next level. Killer Saint is really, really interesting to me. He's, you watch him bowl, and it's a bit like watching Muhammad Issam. I'm not Mohammed Issam. Is um the journalist? Issam, no, Mohammed Issam. I've got him on my mind because I just wrote about him bowling left arm finger spin. So I've now got him confused with um, Imad Wazim, the other left arm mm-hmm. finger spinner, who I don't think I was writing about recently. Or was I writing hmm. about? No, I wasn't. But it's a bit like watching um, Imad Wazim. But you, you watch him and you think to yourself, I can't believe I I've put Muhammad. I've just like pushed Muhammad Assam's bowling. This is a man who once wrote about himself bowling to KP, and I've just pushed his bowling into a whole other tier. But the point is that you know, Imam was him. You sometimes you watch him, and I think you probably throw Michael Beer in this as well. There mm-hmm. are some of those left arm finger spinners that you watch them in T Twenty cricket, and they're doing nothing. Right? <laughs> it, there's very little going on. Quite often, they're not spinning the ball a lot. You know, it, it really is. They're using the seam to skid it and to, and to get the ball to stop a little bit. You know, in mm-hmm. Imad's case, you've got that little bit of indrift that he gets on occasion, which, which puts people off and these sorts of things. But they're not obviously talented bowlers in the way that, you know, Rashid Khan or Sunil mm-hmm. Ryan or Ashwin or these sorts of guys are, right? But they are incredible spoiler bowlers at stopping mm-hmm. you from playing the shot that you want to play off them. Right, and, and there's something about left arm finger spinners that's always had that ability, but we're seeing it come through in T20 cricket. And so mm. for me, Achilles Sun is a really, really interesting one because he's so good at that. And we've seen, uh, you know, at times some hitting ability as well. Oh yeah, I, I think he it was the England. Ball. 
Yeah, I think it was the England series. He hit, you know, hit a couple of good shots. Might have even almost made a fifty at one stage. I think he? even when the West Indies traveled to Pakistan last time, I think he scored some runs with the bat as well. Yeah, I think that was just that era when he was just the, he never made any runs before. He just to me looks like you know maybe that last West Indies generation was a golden generation, and they can't mm-hmm. imitate it again. That's perfectly fine. But we are still seeing really smart T Twenty cricketers come out of the West Indies. Who someone like him. You probably think there's not a lot going on when you first watch him, but the more you watch him bowl, the more you realize that there's a lot there. So I really like him. So I'm glad that he did something quite good in this series. Yeah, likewise, I'm a big fan. I think he also played for the Multan Sultans uh, in the middle and couldn't quite cement his spot. But I feel like Akilo Sen is someone who could be developed into, you know, a more a better utility cricketer, you know, if you look at his fielding, batting and bowling, mm. I think he can, you know, contribute all, in all facets of the game. Uh, just to wrap up on the West Indies, there were, of course, some other performances. Rovman Powell and uh, uh, Hetmeyer were both good in patches. You know, they brought mm. out that belligerence. We saw that. Weren't quite as consistent, but that's not T20 cricket anyway. Romario Shepard was really, really impressive at the death and nailed some Yorkers. But the guy I want to talk about is Brandon King. This guy ended up as the second leading run scorer in the series. And in that last T20. He blew the Indian bowlers to shreds, right? This guy just went into beast mode. And uh, he's been around for a while, right? He Mm. broke onto the scene in the CPL quite a few years ago. And now it seems like he's finally finding his feet in international cricket. So just wanted to know your thoughts on him. Look, I think one of his bigger problems is he's a little bit one-dimensional. Like he doesn't have as many, uh, if you compare him to Pura or Hetmeyer, Mm. they've just got so many extra tools that they can they can take you down on and so he is the sort of cricketer that a generation before was a little bit like an Andre Fletcher or Lendl hmm. Simmons or I'm trying to think of some of the other guys they had who came through um who's the, the guy that uh, Dwayne Smith hmm. uh, uh those sorts of guys but you look at them and you go look they're not top level talents but those sorts of guys were coming through the West Indies and and being very good you know for short periods of time but they had long careers right Brandon King hasn't really burst through he hasn't played county cricket and you know played as much franchise cricket Mm -hmm. at the top level anyway that his talent would suggest and this is my issue when i worked in in the west indies was people would say things like oh there's no talent in the west indies anymore there's plenty of talent it's not developing and i think a lot of those west indian guys they got a a a signal boost from what happened with t20 cricket and now we're looking everywhere for t20 cricketers we're not just looking at the west indies so again to come back to the puran point how old do you think brandon king is probably like late 20s early 30s it's got to be right 28 so he's yeah, just there you go. He, he's just matured right and he's <laughs> peaked the big issue for West Indies cricket and I've said this with you know people like Odeon Smith and Obed McCoy uh, you can put Puran in this as well but there's heaps of them no, it's like they basically mature at 28 and then they become good cricketers and West Indies gets about three or four years out of them. And they're flawed cricketers because they haven't played enough at the top level to mm-hmm. develop the way they should have. And I think he's just another really good example of that. Look, I think he is a good cricketer. But I also think that if they had developed their talent more more early in him, he would have probably been playing for the national team around 24, 25, which means mm-hmm. he would have been a really decent cricketer for a while. And now, now when he kicks on, when he matures, he would have gone to that level. Instead, he probably gets to this level. I still think there's a lot there. And, and, mm-hmm. and I think there's a lot there with a lot of these guys. But the problem is, you hear, for someone like me, I hear about Brandon King when he's 19 or 20, right? And I kind mm. of feel that there's no discussion of him between 19 and 20 and 26 and 27. And that's mm. the thing that I think West Indies cricket is missing out on. And you, 
you know, it's great that they're still getting players like him to come through, but it's not quite the level, of course, that, you know, that they need him to get to. But yeah, I do think he's a good cricketer. I just don't think he's ever going to be, you know, a superstar. Yeah, I mean, here's to hoping that at least he can get some franchise gigs out of this, as most of these guys generally do. And I mean, uh, Shea Hope was also playing this T20 series and got some runs. So there's a career arc that probably none of us saw coming, right? Uh, Moving to India, anyway. Now, the series result doesn't actually matter that much, even though this is like the first T20i series that India have lost in like two years or something. So there's that bit of, um, I guess, context. But Can I just stop you on that? I would say that is the the best thing that has ever happened to to India in T20 mm-hmm. cricket because when I kept doing the research I just kept seeing the winning series over and over and over again which to me means as much as anything they weren't trying anything right yeah. That yeah, that's fair you don't want to win all the T20 is a random thing you, you don't want to win everything you actually want to <laughs> learn as much as you can and develop as Hardik Pandya has suggested. And one of the things that came good for India, especially in the fourth T20, and we've been speaking about this since the IPL, right? That Gil and Jaiswal are the future and the way they bat in T20 cricket. I think I even have you on record on one of the Uncovered podcasts where you said that those two should be opening for India, period. Like, it shouldn't be like a second string choice. Those guys are your best bets. And they were at their belligerent best in the fourth T20. Both caught runs. They secured a very one-sided victory for India, brought out all of their shots and charisma, and they're just so attractive to watch bat. Do you think the time is now to just make this India's, you know, frontline opening pair in T20Is? Or do they still need to give them some time? Got a year before the World Cup, don't we? A year and mm-hmm. change, maybe. We've got another yeah. ODI World Cup at the moment. Do you, I don't suppose you want to go to Rohit Sharma now when he's about to mm. captain an ODI World Cup I'd say to him hey big man uh, <laughs> we're just going to take this away from you don't worry about this don't worry about this at all like I just think that would be it, it's not that it's wrong because I understand there'll be lots of Indian fans being like of course that's what you do but I do think mm-hmm. there's a part of it where you go it's just not what you want him to be thinking about right at the moment but perhaps mm. straight after the World Cup you just say to him look we don't think you're in our best two openers anymore. You know, we, we value your leadership and your captaincy. We're going to go in a different direction for this next World Cup. And we're even prepared to lose it, right? But hmm. They may not have to worry about that, obviously, with heartache and everything else. But they could say, we're prepared to lose it. But what we aren't prepared anymore is to keep losing the same way. Mm-hmm. And I think that, for me, that would be the way that they should go about it. Um, and I've got, I would have no, absolutely no problems with them, with them doing that and, and um, going at it from that direction. So, uh, I, look, I like, I like the think, uh, you know, I like the thinking of me because you were quoting me back to myself before. Um, <laughs> I, I just think if you've got a, you've got a good year, right? Hmm. I'd like to see those guys playing as many games as possible as the openers and also see how hard it goes over a long period of time and, and, and everything else. I, I think he's captain enough that they understand his experience level now, hmm. but, there is a difference between captaining a T20 franchise that has a couple of journalists covering it and the Indian national team, which has oh, yeah. about 700 million people covering it. Pretty much. And of course, you know, all of cricket's narrative kind of also revolves around India because they're the cash-rich mm. country, right? And they can't escape from it. But anyway, Gil and Jaiswal, what they did do was give us a glimpse into the future. And Indian supporters should be really, really excited with that sort of prospect. Now, some other uh, or one other player who had an okay series, I would say, was Surya Kumar Yadav. Came good in the third T20I, completely, you know took the game by the scruff of the neck, scored one of those quick-fire 80-odd runs, which he's so famous for. Usually gets to 100. I don't know. I guess the score wasn't enough on this occasion. But then in the final ODI, he scored his slowest 
T20 International 50. So a the final, mix. you said ODI, you meant T20. Oh, yeah. I, I meant T20, yeah, yeah. sorry. In the final T20 no, I was just getting confused. Scored, I was like, wait, have we gone back yeah. in time? No. <laughs> so he scored his uh, slowest T20 International 50 for India in the final T20. And I mean, again, you'd have to say mixed bag of results. Sky is someone who India looks up to as that disruptor. The guy who's going to completely come and dismantle opposition. And it seems like he struggled to do that on this tour. And you've got an ODI World Cup in this year, right? So his form, I feel, is crucial towards India's limited overs exploits because they don't have someone quite like him. He's one of a kind. Even world cricket, you could argue that Sky is a little unique. So Mm. would you be worried at all? The one-day form is really interesting. I, I, someone asked me this, I think on Wagon Wheel recently, you know, whether it was a fluke or, or what the situation was. And I said, it doesn't actually make sense that he's made so few runs in one-day international cricket. There's nothing within his game that would suggest that. There's nothing within his list A record that would suggest he would struggle in one-day cricket. And he's honest about it, right? His failures. The a yeah. video recently came out. So he's he's got that jotted down. I do wonder, especially in one-day cricket, if there is a, a touch of the Joss Butlers about him. In that, I remember seeing Joss Butler play in the 2015 World Cup. I think I'm right in saying he was in that World Cup. Yeah. Um, I yeah, right. I think he was. Yeah. And they had, if it wasn't then, it was around that period anyway. Mm-hmm. And they had like Mo and Ellie, who they were purposely telling to bat slow. They had Ian Bell and mm. you know, Gary Balance and James Taylor and all these different anchors around him. And then suddenly they had Butler and like Butler's job was to, I don't know, score up four runs of all and make up for the fact that no one else had, and also average quite a high amount as well. Um, and it doesn't really work that. I, and I think if we look through the history of cricket, generally you're better off to have a plan, whether it be, I, I know a bunch of anchors like New Zealand and, and um, uh, Pakistan do or you know one anchor and a bunch of attacking players which takes the pressure off one guy having mm-hmm. to do absolutely everything for you um, and I do wonder if there's something to that with him um, in one day cricket but I thought it was interesting that he made a slower more mature T20 innings as well mm-hmm. and I wonder if that's him also thinking about you know because he kind of was a very flawed player he suddenly matured and exploded into this absolute freak. It's not like Joss Butler. <laughs> you go back, early Joss Butler was Joss Butler, right? Early Sky was not early Sky. But True. It, you know, the sky was darker. There was more cloud. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know how to explain that. But um, So I do think from that perspective that he is still probably learning his limits, right, as an attacking mm-hmm. player. Um, and so watching him play a slightly more intelligent or... Mm-hmm. Even not even intelligent, maybe that's the wrong word, just a slightly more geared innings, mm-hmm. kind of what we need to see from him. Because that's the difference between him being a very good hitter and being that sort of next level player. Right. Okay. So uh, let me just look at my notes if I have. So, oh, yeah, of course. Of course. How could I forget? Uh, we were speaking about middle order enforcers and how Sky might be one of a kind in that Indian batting lineup. But there was a player in India's T20 series who kind of had a dream debut series, you could say, Tilak Verma was the second mm. uh, joint highest scorer in the series, only three runs behind Nicholas Puran and tied with Brandon King. Really, really aesthetically pleasing left-hander. I loved watching him play his shots and he was really fearless in his approach as well. So with respect to, you know, middle order power hitters or enforcers, do you think Tilak Verma has made like the perfect audition perhaps to go on and fill that gap in India's T20 team in the future? Yeah, I, I, I think they might want him to bat higher. Um, hmm. I suppose it depends on 
we've got so many injuries at the moment, don't they? Because they've, you know, they got Aya, Kale Raul, Rashad Punt. So there's a few guys out there that they're going to have to, well, they may want to fit in or may try and fit in. Um, from that perspective, I would have thought that he, the aim with him is probably not to be that middle over. Well, maybe to be the more the Glenn Maxwell type player, perhaps him mm. and Sky sort of, you know, as a Butler Maxwell sort of. Actually, well, Butler doesn't do it anymore. But AB de Villiers uh, Maxwell type partnership, which is something right. really interesting, which is something England don't have, right? So mm. if you think about how you beat the best white ball team in the world, that's a really interesting little combo, right? Uh, and then yeah. have you throw Hardik on the back end of that. And, you know, you, you have, you know, a four, five, six, then suddenly of, mm. of really interesting, different skills. Um, I, I, look, I like the idea of that. Uh, yeah, I don't really see him as that sort of, I think the guy we were talking about the other day is more that number six, number seven, uh, mm. sort of instant power player. I think he's a different kind of player than that. But look, he's an exciting talent. Um, I feel like over the last couple of weeks, that's all I've been seeing is highlights of him and people talking about him. And, um, you know, he, he's, coming off the back of one IPL season or one outstanding IPL season. So if you count this as IPL plus five, you know, one Mm -hmm. and a half IPL seasons, that's kind (laughs) of, you started to get to the point of, okay, it wasn't a fluke. There's something there. Mm -hmm. No, and it was away from home as well. And a lot of these wickets were slow. So I think those runs definitely do count for something. And good defensive bowlers as well. So (laughs) it's not facing Mitchell Stark or Rabada or anyone, but good defensive bowlers. That is true. So quickly, before we take a break, uh, India have that number four conundrum once again in ODI cricket that they've had for like 10, 15 years now since whenever Yuvraj Singh retired. So who's your pick? Who should be batting for India at number four in the ODI World Cup? Well, I think Rishabh Pant would be a great number four in ODI cricket. Mm-hmm. Um, well, he wouldn't make it though. No, but he's not going to play. I think. But mm-hmm. I was about to say, and I think the next person I would like to play that is KL Rahul, who I think is mm-hmm. a really good four or five in one-day cricket. And he's not going to make it. I actually, yeah. I, I, I'm... I'm going to say this, and it's ridiculous, but I was on another podcast today and they asked me the same question. I think Rohit Sharma is the best number four in that squad. (laughs) I know it's a stupid... And I'm not saying that to say, oh, we shouldn't be opening. I'm just saying, if you look at what he does best, his ability to sort of knock and milk the the spinners, and then once he's set to destroy seam bowling, is actually perfectly suited to batting at number four. (laughs) Um, He's not going to get bogged down in those middle overs because he's too good Mm. at manipulating the strike. Well, get you as many twos and threes, perhaps, uh, with his running between the wicket. But then you've got to, if you've got him on, you know, sixty or seventy in his set, he could score at two, two and a half runs of ball, right? Mm. And that, it's not, not going to happen. So I don't know the answer. Is is maybe the best way of putting it? The, there's three options I've given there. Two probably won't play, or mm. definitely won't play. I suppose in one case, and the other one you're not going to move. So uh, I don't <laughs> know how to answer that. Well, there's a hot take for you, viewers. And I think I, my pick would be Shreya Sire if he gets fit in time. I, he's not fit either. Do you know what yeah, I mean? he's not fit either. <laughs> it's just the same thing over and over again. We don't, that's, it, there's no obvious answer to this. Um, you're right. He's the, he would probably be the fourth one on my list. Do you know who else would be good at? Virat Kohli, but they've got him somewhere else in the order. So it just, it's a really weird conundrum that they've ended up with. A team, like in T20 cricket, it's like they have too many anchors. And in one-day cricket, you're like, do they not actually have a number four anchor here? <laughs> yeah, well, sort out your shit, BCCI Team India, because, I mean, it's been years now. Sort out your number four position. Anyway, this is the Uncovered Podcast. We'll be taking a break. And yeah, we'll be back shortly. Get ready to take charge of your favorite leagues in Wicket Cricket Manager. Control the game, buy and sell players, and train them to victory. Play against friends, strangers, or challenge yourself. With your cricket knowledge, become the master on the pitch of Wicket Cricket Manager. 
Welcome back to the Uncovered Podcast. I'm Behram Kazi. You can find me at Def Mango on Twitter. And of course, with me is Jared Kimber, who is everywhere. So, Jared, the Bangladesh ODI captaincy. Now, let's go back a few weeks. Tami Mikbal retired and then unretired upon the request of the Prime Minister. And then he had uh, an injured back, right? And that seems to be a bit serious as well because he won't be fit in time to play the Asia Cup. And he's hoping to be fit in time to play the ODIs versus New Zealand, which are directly uh, prior to the ODI World Cup. So it's interesting because, look, the meme I think was quite unselfish when he relinquished the captaincy duties because he wasn't going to be with the team for that long. So I think that bit made sense. And of course, um, he did speak to the Prime Minister and she understood this was in the article. I'm not making this up. It happened. Um, what's your take on all of that? Do you think that this kind of leaves Bangladesh in a bit of a pickle? Because Tamim did guarantee automatic qualification as captain for Bangladesh. And that definitely counts for something. Yeah, I, I think, I'm trying to remember back, was it around when they played England? And I can't remember who they played just before England. Um, where it seemed like they had a really nice thing going on of Shakib being the T20 captain and Tamim being mm. the one-day captain. They, you know, played and led in a slightly different way. Um mm. You know, and and they went. You know, they went about it from that perspective. Um, and I remember it might have been Mohammed Islam, who we're now going to mention for a second time this episode, <laughs> but not his bowling this time. Um, who, who I do think there was a. Um, he he was saying that he did thought think that there was a, a nice separation between those two and the way they thought about mm-hmm. cricket. They captain very differently. Look, I remember thinking that at the time watching late Shakib be their captain mm. so this was probably the england series i think i was commentating it and thinking that he i like the way that he led the team i've got mm. no issue in him being the odi captain my my issue is kind of everything else that has happened right like of mm. how we ended up here of um uh of why they haven't got you know better people for the job at this point of mm. um the prime ministers and the presidents and the board bosses and all that sort of that's the stuff i've got a bigger issue of i mm. honestly don't think you know of recent times i've been impressed with show. I, I think he's got a really good natural feel for the game mm. um and and i do like the way he was backing the younger players in the t20 i'm mm. okay with that as an odi captain i think if you take tamim out uh you know of their batting um mm. and he doesn't play i do think from that perspective this is going to make it a lot harder for them to win an ODI World Cup. And I don't think mm. they were going to win it anyway, but I thought they had a realistic chance of being, you know, the fourth to the sixth best team. I think mm-hmm. without Tamim, that's an issue. I'm not sure that I ever thought that much of his captaincy, though, directly where I thought, you know, his captaincy was so fantastic that you needed it in the side. So, yeah, talking about the person who has, of course, replaced him as captain is Shakibul Hassan, needs no introduction, probably Bangladesh's MVP throughout their history. And I pulled out some numbers and as as captain in 50 ODIs of, of Bangladesh, Shakib is actually a, quite a decent record if you consider that this is Bangladesh because he's won 23, he's lost 26, his batting average drops just under two runs when he's captain, but his bowling average pretty much remains the same. Now, he does seem like the obvious choice to lead, lead Bangladesh in this whole Tamim episode, but can be a, hot, a bit of a hothead at times, right? So do you see that being an issue maybe? Because we've seen Shakib lose his shit at times in the past. Do I see that being an issue? Uh, hmm. Potentially. Am I worried about that being more of an issue than 
everything else that you've just said probably not um uh, look i mean you've got the pointing at his groin match fixing the you know fighting with everyone in the world at different times look it, it is all part of shakib i i think that you can't discount it i do mm. think at this age he's slightly less of a hot I, I would like to think he's less of a hothead now than he's ever been before his head is you know lukewarm uh more, more so um I just, I think the bigger failure is, as I said, that that is their only option, right? Mm. That they haven't really produced players or produced leaders the way that they perhaps should have. And that, that's yeah. a reason why their cricket hasn't kicked on as well. So they're having mm-hmm. to go back to these two guys, one of which didn't want the job and the other one is kind of, you know, not that long back after his last suspension, you know, yeah. uh, uh, all things being considered. So. Look, it's a weird place for them to be, but I don't think it is particular. I don't think it means they're not going to win the World Cup because of it. Mm. I don't think they're going to win the World Cup anyway, but I don't think mm-hmm. it means that they're not going to be as good. I- I'm really much more worried about Tamin's batting, not you know, potentially not being available mm. to them than than Shaki. Yeah, Tamim is a big, big blow. And I hope that he does make it in time for the World Cup because the report that I read, it was a bit optimistic that he might get fit by those New Zealand ODIs. And if that happens, even if that doesn't happen, I'd say even if the World Cup comes up, you just, you know, back the meme because he is he has the experience and he is that level head at the top. But also, you know, Shakib Hassan, look, he was the star performer in 2019 in England. And when I say star performer, I mean like top three players of the tournament star mm. performer, right? And Bangladesh did quite well considering their previous World Cups in that one because they finished, what, fifth, sixth and got that famous win versus South Africa as well at the start. And here's an interesting one about Shakib. So in the games that Bangladesh has won, he averages about 51 with the batch and roughly 22 with the ball. So he is their match winner. And if he has that onus of being captain, maybe, just maybe this brings the best out of him in the twilight of his career. Yeah, it might just engage him more. I mean, it's possible. It's it's possible. Mm-hmm. I just don't think that they're going to get anything better from giving it to anyone else at the moment. I think, mm-hmm. again, the minute it finishes, you would have to make a very big call whether you want him to be your T20 World Cup captain. But mm. he was in their leadership group already. So I kind of yeah. think it makes sense. Yeah. Plus, I mean, if the meme is fit and then Mushfikur is also, you know, hanging around behind the stumps, I'm sure that those three would probably convene with each other and kind of maybe consult each other with respect to making decisions. But yeah, that should be it for the Bangladesh ODI captaincy saga. We'll take another break. You're watching Uncovered and we will be back shortly. NFL Sunday Ticket is now on YouTube and YouTube TV, which means that you can stay close to your team even if you don't live in their town. Like, maybe you're a Raven who married a Seahawk who got a job in the land of the Falcons. With NFL Sunday Ticket, you can watch your team's out-of-market Sunday afternoon games no matter where you live because you shouldn't have to change teams even if you change towns. NFL Sunday Ticket, now on YouTube and YouTube TV. Go to youtube.com slash presale to get $50 off. Terms and embargoes apply. Offer ends 919. No refund. Subscription auto renews. Welcome back to Uncovered. This is Behram Kazi and with me is Jared Kimber. So, Jared... On to my favorite section, Pakistan's structure. And before we even get into that, I'm not sure if you've heard, but Mark Coles has resigned mere days before the South African tour uh, from as, as women's team head coach. So, yeah, I mean, just Pakistan stuff happening once again, 11th hour resignation. He cited personal terms. And really, just when you feel like there's some stability coming in, poof, some bullshit happens just like that. So, I mean, I know you know Mark Coles. Uh, thoughts? I haven't talked to him, so uh, <laughs> I don't want it to sound like I'm <laughs> that I know anything. But my guess is, I'm not saying there aren't personal reasons; mm. it could be very good personal reasons. But having spoken to a lot of coaches, 
about mm. not just Pakistan, but Pakistan and Sri Lanka. I think people mm. kind of feel now that like if you, it, it's a, I don't know, a disposable coaching job, mm. right? That it's not solid compared to the rest of the world. You would certainly not drop anything for it. Um, as Mickey Arthur has gone out of his way to show, uh, I think we know that Mark Coles is, you know, played a big change in, uh, you know, women's cricket in in Pakistan, as as a lot of mm-hmm. other people did as well. Um, and there was a bit of, you know, getting the band back together and having him involved with Pakistan cricket. It's, it doesn't feel like it's an ideal thing to have happened, but mm. we, I think we talked about this in the last episode. There's clearly they've had this change of management, and mm. shit is hitting the roof and hitting other things. Definitely hitting the f- and hitting the roof. Shit is hitting right? the fan. Shit is hitting the fan. Because then the shit is going then everywhere, right? Yeah, yeah. It would yeah. also hit the floor. Yeah. Don't know how I got that hmm. wrong. But we need the shit to spiral everywhere, which is basically where we're at. So shit has to hit the fan in that regard. Uh, and I mean, my personal assessment is that look, Sati was adamant to bring him back. Sati's gone. And mm. so Mark Coles is gone. And that's like one plus one equals two in my head at least. But some good news, at least with the women's uh, uh, cricket team for Pakistan, is that for the first time in Pakistan cricket history, domestic contracts have been offered to female cricketers Mm. and there has been a raise in central contracts for the already currently contracted women's cricketers. A bit late to the party, the PCB, definitely, and they so often are when it comes to women's cricket. But that's definitely a step in the right direction, don't you think? When I first started covering women's cricket, Pakistan barely had a team. Um, mm. it, some of the cricketers looked so like they'd never played proper level, proper level cricket before. Like they didn't mm-hmm. understand where the umpires were going to stand and how they mm. were supposed to run in and all these sorts of basics. It really looked like a kid's team, um, to see where Pakistan cricket has been over the last little while is wild really. Um, mm. and, uh, so this is the next step, isn't it? Because, yeah. you know, you can you can get you got your good team together. You had some success after uh, with Mark Coles, and you know, around that era, you know, sort of before and after, um, you know, there was obviously something building. But they're only going to be good if they copy what everyone else does, which is paying your domestic mm-hmm. women, so that you can broaden your talent pool and also mm-hmm. make sure that I don't know if your fast bowler is injured, there's another fast bowler out there who's playing professional cricket and not just mm-hmm. you know bringing her in from some random job she has. Yeah, no, and I mean, it's long overdue, but definitely, I would say, a very welcome sort of step. But on to the fun stuff. Pakistan's domestic structure, the first-class structure in particular. Now, four years ago, when Hassan Mani and Wasim Khan were at the helm, Imran Khan kind of, you know, went in with his uh, childhood fantasy. He would probably, like, fantasize about this when he would go to sleep after playing for Sussex or whatever, that Pakistan should have a six-team first-class structure. And they should all be. It wouldn't have been when he played for Pakistan. Sussex. It would have been when he played for Queensland that he had that fantasy. But continue. yeah, he would have. He would have played. Yeah, yeah. My my bad, of course. But anyway, so he wanted to copy the Australian model. They did that mm. with regions in Pakistan. It did build a bit of fan following, but there was a lot of you can say uh, criticism that the departments have been done with. Now, in the new structure that has just been announced, the departments are back. But here's a fun part. They're not going to be playing in tandem with the region. So the regions are going to be playing their own tournament, which is the Kaidazm Trophy, which is Pakistan's most prestigious first-class tournament in their history. And the six teams are now eight teams. They are still regions, but they're city-based regions. And it's a tiered structure. So they have actually brought in a second division, and that is going to be called the Hanif Muhammad Trophy. That will have 10 teams. And then, of course, you know that promotion relegation system is in order, which I think is a good step the uh, departments will be playing their own first-class tournament, the President's Cup, after the Kaidiasm Trophy. There'll be eight departments. 
XYZ bank versus water and gas company, mm. you know, that same sort of drift. So here's my thing with this. First, I want to know, do you think this is a sustainable model? Because in Pakistan, I don't know what is a sustainable model because they'll get Nothing. rid of everything, right? And second, I actually feel like it's smart to put the regions and departments aside because the departments have the financial muscle and you can even see a lot of the same players playing both of these tournaments. Yeah. That might be the better paid one and the higher quality cricket one. But with regions, at least, at least you can build some fanfare. Like, I'm not going to tune in, tune in for uh, water and gas versus HBL Bank or whatever, you know? It's not going to catch my attention. But Karachi versus Lahore will. So, I mean... So, you think it, how many spot? teams are there in the regional then, in the two divisions altogether? It's, it's 18 teams. 8 okay. in Division 1, 10 in Division 2. Uh, so, on its own, that makes a lot more sense. Mm-hmm. I probably, if I was running it, I would have a third division as well. Mm-hmm. I would actually end up with three divisions um, and I would make sure that there was always, uh, you know, a movement between all of them. And all, mm-hmm. there would also, there would be constant, I would allow for trades and loans and all these sorts of things so that mm-hmm. the better players can filter into division one, even when they're stuck in, in the wrong team occasionally. Mm-hmm. And then, then what you have separate to that is you have a little bit of, of, of the method that really Pakistan cricket you know, mm-hmm. outside of, you know, England cricket and, and posh schools, the other thing that Pakistan cricket had going for it was it, it did have these, you know, uh, almost franchise-like teams, right? Which meant that you had to be good enough to pay, uh, to play, you know, to get paid, mm-hmm. you had to be at a certain level. That's still a good system as long as those those players are mixed in. What I would suggest, though, if it was me, is that you are allowed to have six senior players, but then you mm-hmm. have to have also six, well, actually, six senior is wrong in Pakistan, is that because the eight, then they'll get fixated with 12-year-olds playing. But <laughs> do you know what I mean? Six players of a certain amount of first-class games can play uh, in, in that league. Hmm. And then the rest of the players have to be players with less than that amount of first-class games. So that you're actually using it as a development league, but it's a really good development league, right? You, you know, hmm. if you're, you're playing in that, you might still be going up against, you know, a top-level Pakistani um, test bowler, but there's also a bunch of other kids playing around. So you almost get the mix of both things. So you have that. And then then we're talking about, let's say, 24. So you're talking about about 24 different teams in, in, the, in the first three leagues. And then you've got this great development league, which is pay for play, which basically means that, you know, there's a professional um, structure on top of it and everything else. So from that perspective, that is how I would have done it. But I can understand Mm -hmm. that that we're talking about, you know, a more perfect system on top of this. This is a good system. I look Mm -hmm. forward to it lasting two years and it all being ripped up. But (laughs) it's a much better system than what Imran Khan wanted, which was stupid. And Mm. it probably placates both sides. The people who want to spend money, I still think you want those people to spend money on first-class cricket. Mm -hmm. If they're still willing to do it, encourage that, right? It doesn't come out of your pocket as much. But you also do need that two tiers and you need, you know, um, you know, we've both talked to... um, Wasim Khan, and it's not like he's a genius on any of on anything in in this regard. But he's like, if you have you know hundred million people, you can't have six first class teams because you're going to yeah. miss out on too many players. And they've opened themselves up to have that ability. And you know, Division Two will hopefully be where the younger players are brought through, and then Division One is where you would hope that the best players all end up. Yeah, 240 million, by the way. So that's a yeah. lot of people. But not <laughs> Maybe all of even those, just so that you're aware, not all of those are men. Yeah, 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 of course. I was, sure. I was, I was dilute, diluting the pool down. And also, it's, it's quite a young society, but there's probably yeah. a few old people that also can't get paid. But I'm saying mm. you can't have, if you have 120 million men, right? Mm. 
that's still more people than live in the, in, in the UK. They have too many county sites. And Australia has 25 million people with, mm. with six first-class things. And Australia should, this is something that isn't talked about a lot. Australia should actually have a, sec, a proper second tier. When Australia was at its strongest, no one ever talks about this, but the second 11 tier was so mm. strong and was so cutthroat that essentially Australia had a second division. We, they just didn't call it a second division. Yeah, that's quite interesting. There is just one caveat with respect to this, and that is from like a selection lens. So you've got the Kaidiasm Trophy and you've got the President's Cup. One is the prestigious tournament. One is probably the better tournament now that you're going to be paying people more. You're going to be attracting the top talent or whatever. A lot of the same players will be playing, but then a lot of different players will be playing. When you come to selecting the test team, which one do you look at? You look That's at my only caveat. No, you factor yeah, it in. If you're doing it professionally, you... You work out who they faced in each competition, what kind of pitches mm. they were on. Uh, I, I don't think having more first-class data when selecting a test team should be a problem. Mm. Um, mm. And I don't think you should get too hung up on, oh, we, we, we run this tournament and they sort of run that tournament, so we won't take that yet. You need to take as much data as possible. Yeah, no, absolutely. One final point on this. Now, I'm going to ask you, I mean, you followed Shield cricket pretty much all your life. Has there ever been a region in Australia that hasn't been represented? Because in the previous structure in Pakistan's first-class circuit, Balochistan was a team. And okay, they were shit for the most part. But then again, you saw them winning the ODI tournament, you know? Mm. And there was some good stories coming out of it, some local talent as well. It was a happy story because Balochistan doesn't get much representation in Pakistan. And at least they were getting that. They've been scrapped. There is no team from Balochistan anymore. Yeah. And that is something that's not sitting well with me. No, that's a mistake. Um, that, that's why I want more teams. That's where we go back to Australia. So uh, up until the 1960s, have a look at how many good Western Australian cricketers Australia had. Mm. They weren't in the Sheffield Shield. They weren't playing it. Tasmania don't enter, enter until 1980s. Um, or it might be late 1970s for Tasmania. Uh, and, we, and we end up almost straight away with um, Ricky Ponting and David Boone, mm. right? Uh, Northern Territory, probably the best modern day cricketer. I, I think Damien Martin grew up in Western Australia, so I don't think he would mm. count. But Darcy Shaw, like if you'd grown up in West in in a first class environment, probably would have been much better much early on. Uh, you know, Canberra's another one that that could be. Mm. Why would you do it, right? Like you could make you can make a really good argument in Australia if you were really doing talent bases for cricket. Uh, that you could almost skip Northern Territory and and um, uh, and Canberra would be the other one, right? Hmm. The one that you really want is the Murray region, which actually encompasses South Australia, Victoria, and New South Wales. Todd hmm. Murphy's just come from there. You know, Andrew McDonald, Jamie Siddons. There's a lot of really good cricketers that have come from that area because it's a real cricket hotspot. And I'm sure there's a lot more. And a lot of them don't move to Melbourne or to Adelaide or, or to hmm. Sydney to play, right? Northern Queensland is another one that I would say. And the other weird one, of course, is the whole Hobart-Launceston divide in Tasmania, ah. right? If you had two divisions, some of these places could have a second team and then you'd be able to see how good these players are. That's happening in Australia. What is happening in Pakistan? How many good players are being missed in those sorts of regions? And in Australia, you know, you can kind of still find these people because it's a smaller mm. population, you know. Yeah. Todd Murphy still got found. Right. And, mm. and still got brought through. Shane Harwood was playing country cricket in Australia. Still ended up playing for Australia. Right. And Pakistan, I want, I just worry that there are so many international quality players that never make it. And in, you could throw India into this as well. And all these, mm. if you don't have proper talent identification systems and you don't have small regional areas, 
um, that is looking after. And, and, you know, you talk about Australia, you know, England, Durham weren't a county, right? Mm. Up until what, 94, 93, I want to say. Uh, Steve Harmison, you know, Mark Wood, Ben Stokes. Ben three Stokes. pretty good Paul cricketers. Hey, Paul, Paul Collingwood, Collingwood. right? Uh, Paul mm. Collingwood's an average cricketer compared to these other three, right? Like, yeah. Look at the level of talent they could have missed out on, right? Mm. And this is this happens over and over again. You can do this anywhere, like at any cricket place in the world. Look at all the talent that Sri Lanka has probably missed in the north part of their island, in right. the east part of their island, right? You you don't know where your talent is going to come from, and if you don't have a system that can develop it, what ends up is you have a player like Darcy Short who just develops later. Hmm. naturally because he is up against you know it's the same with associate level players we know that associate level players have been test quality before Hmm. but most most of the time it doesn't develop in the same way because they're not playing against other people like that and it's exactly the same for your domestic teams yeah and i mean there's that angle of course that you're going to miss out on international quality players and also you're not doing much to growing the game right you've got to develop those regional centers along with those teams so that in the future you can maybe nurture some talent and they could go on to represent pakistan and you know in a country like pakistan we've got so many diverse cultures within this one country you need that representation mm-hmm. i think it's absolutely imperative anyway before taking a break i think we might as well just talk about the cricket of south africa's you know yep. uh, choice that they've made that they're going to have relaxed fitness standards now now you're the one who actually wanted to speak about this all i know is that uh, basically, there was a two-kilometer run and a skinfold test, and they've yeah. said that okay, you don't necessarily need to pass this to play international cricket. But then again, they haven't really specified what the minimum fitness standard should be. So there's some ambiguity over there, and they're also not really like I haven't heard of them incentivizing any excellence with respect to fitness. And we've seen this saga, you know, start way earlier when last year you had Sisana Magala, Dane Van Niekerk, who of course is now retired and then could, what was it, 18 seconds or something like that, that she failed that uh, two-kilometer so, yeah. run test, yeah. And then uh, Liza Lee is also retired now because of this. So this is certainly an issue in Cricket South Africa, but I'm not sure I understand the solution provided over here. Well, I think they got a lot of flack for losing two of the best women's cricketers in one mm-hmm. go. And also, there is no doubt now that, you know, myself and many other people who kept writing the same thing, which is your, the idea is to be cricket fit. It is not to be mm. fit for a 2K time trial. And also if your skills, and in, let's say Dane, let's just take her, her skills as a bowler and a batter are so much better than another player who is fitter and can move around the field. That is mm. part of selection. That is what you do, right? So there is a reason that Rakim Cornwall has not always been with the West Indies team. And it is times mm. when they look around the field, they go, we can't hide him, right? Mm. And there are other times they go, Actually, we can. You know, in test cricket, mm. sometimes they think, well, we can just sit him at first slip and he's got great big bucket hands and he'll mm-hmm. catch it a pretty good percentage. In a T20 game, if we've got him and we've got Sun on the Ryan and we've got Andre Russell's knees and we've got some other player who's got a back injury, we can't actually, you know, field correctly in this game. That mm. is the fitness test, right? If they yeah. believe that Rocky and Cornwall cannot help them, it is there. And as cricket becomes more divergent, in the kinds of skills that you need, right? Uh, you know, I mean, Ashwin is not a good fielder. No one, no one has ever said Ashwin is a good fielder and his batting is fine, but let's say he mm-hmm. couldn't bat at all. You're still going to pick Ashwin a lot, right? Yeah. And even if he can't run a 2K time trial and he tries really hard, you're still going to pick him. And the reason you're going to pick him is because you don't have anyone else who can do his skills better. This is a fitness-based game and an athletic-based game, but also a skill-based game. And right. 
and and I think that's the one thing that having an arbitrary rule like that. So let's say Shane Warne couldn't pass it, right? Mm. And I'm not saying he couldn't, but I do know of a situation where Victoria asked Shane Warne to do a time trial and he refused, mm. right? Let's right. say Shane Warne couldn't pass it. Are you a better team for not having <laughs> Shane Warne than you are for having Shane Warne? I can't True. see that. That's all I wanted to say about it, really. I, I, You know, you can go back, you can have a look at my previous work on the topic before. Mm. The very basic thing is that there are there are so many different kinds of athletes in cricket that having one catch-all um, fitness test in a sport that doesn't have 2K, you don't have mm. to run two, two kilometers in one go right. in cricket. doesn't make any sense to me. Also, is the skinfold test what it sounds like? Because, yeah. oh no, that's that's just weird. But yeah, anyway, I mean... also the skinfold one's really interesting. I'll tell you this because I remember, I can't remember who told me this, but it was a, a teammate of his. Aaron Finch used hmm. to have um, neutral skinfolds, hmm. right? But we remember Aaron Finch. He was, you know, he was a, he was a larger gentleman. He, you know, he, yeah. you know, he had, a, he had a, you know, a thicker frame up top. Mm-hmm. But he had really skinny legs, right? Mm. So his, thi- his, his skin folds on his legs were really low. And then he had this little belly up top, mm. right? And I can't, I can't, one of his teammates told me this story. And they said, so he passes the skin folds, right? And some other player who's really quite fit, but just carries a little bit of weight at the top of the bottom doesn't. It's such a, mm. again, an arbitrary thing. Yeah, There are players, you know, if you look at baseball, there are players who are just, overweight by conventional athletic standards right Mm -hmm. and who can't run and can't do anything else but the individual skills that they're really good at is so good that they still get picked and then they have other positions in baseball where your athleticism and how fast you can move to the ball and how often you can do it and all those things they do need to measure we Mm. are getting to that point in cricket but we're not actually doing it and so yeah it's it for me it just doesn't make any sense yeah i mean pakistan has a similar thing over here right i mean you, whenever Azam Khan gets selected, you have all of this uproar that why has Azam Khan gotten selected? But I think I agree with you where, you know, match fitness and, you know, athletic different, though that kind of fitness, they're two different things. And if someone can survive a match without getting, you know, I don't know, huffed, puffed and, you know, unfit, I think that should be enough. And like you said, it's a skill-based game. So yeah, let's see what the future holds in that regard. But anyway, we shall take a break at this point and we'll come back at, on the Uncovered podcast with some England World Cup preparation news. So stay with us. Welcome back to Uncovered. I'm Behram Kazi. You can find me at Def Mango on Twitter. And with me, of course, is Jared Kimber. You can find me anywhere. And uh, the last topic of the day is England's World Cup prep. Now, I read an article and I can't quite recall who wrote it, but the gist of it was that Matthew Mott suggested that, you know, he still hasn't lost hope that Ben Stokes will you know, unretire and feature in this ODI World Cup. And I mean, I get the sentiment. He was the hero of England's previous World Cup winning campaign. No, he is Mr. Clutch. You know, whenever the chips are down, Ben Stokes brings out his best. He has a penchant for that sort of, you know, match winning innings. And uh, I just feel that, you know, with the situation with Ben Stokes' knee and the fact that he himself is saying that he might need surgery, is this even the right sort of frame of mind that England's coach should be in? Like, why do you need Ben Stokes when you've got your Livingstons and Brooks and you have ample resources to go and play the sort of cricket that you want to play? Particularly because Stokes won't offer anything with the ball. He'll be primarily a batter. So don't you have other resources? Yeah, I don't think he could. So don't you think that they have enough resources that maybe they don't need to go back to Stokes and they just can tap into those resources? I think that what you have here is they thought he was always going to come back. 
Hmm. They thought he retired and that when the World Cup came around, he would come back. And, of course, what has happened is his knee's just we, – we still don't know exactly what's wrong with his knee, but it's hmm. degraded to a point at which he probably can't come back for this World Cup, mm-hmm. right? And so I think this is Matthew Mott's last-ditch uh, effort mm. to bring him back. Look, you talked about Brooks and Livingston and those sorts of guys. What they really want Stokes for is the Owen Morgan role, mm. right, which is not Brooks, which is not Livingston. They want someone who can score at, you know, around a, a run a ball without really taking too many risks and then can accelerate mm. when they want it, want that to happen. I think that's their, their thing. I think they believe they're missing that player or they're going to mm. have to end up with Dawood Milan, who's just not as good a player as Stokes, right? Right. Or, or may not, maybe someone else. Like they, mm. or they may try and manufacture it another way. You don't really want Joe. You know, they want that. That engine room is what they built their ODI cricket on, which is the ability mm-hmm. to score between t- overs ten and forty at a, roughly a run a ball without actually um, causing too many risks, so that the guys can come in and slog at the end. They still want that kind of player available to them. So I think from that perspective, that's why they want Stokes. But I, I think. Six months ago, you know, talking to people behind the scenes, I think a lot of us mm. thought he was definitely going to come back. Start mm. of the Ashes, it was really clear he wasn't. The fact he wasn't bowling by the end of the Ashes, I think, tells you that it's a lot worse than he thinks it is, uh, or that he thought it was. And I believe what will happen now, you talked about the surgery, is he's going to mm. use this time to come back so that he can get a couple more years of perhaps mm. you know, IPL or England T20 and uh, test matches in him. I don't think he would risk that for this World Cup, but it's a World Cup. So if he's ever mm-hmm. going to risk, I mean, we saw Andre Russell playing the last World Cup, despite the fact that he was about as fit as you, right? <laughs> he shouldn't have been in that tournament. Um, and so from that perspective, I suppose it's possible for Stokes to come back, but I would think not. Yeah, I mean, I would advise him not to because look, we all want to see more of Ben Stokes and if he burns himself out right now, I mean, I don't even see why England would desperately need... I mean, I, you presented your Owen Morgan case, but I think that if it was Stokes the all-rounder, I could see more of a point. Mm-hmm. But Stokes the batter, I don't think they need as desperately. But you never know, maybe Joss Butler throws him a text, World Cup, question mark, who's to say? Something like this could definitely happen. Some more stuff from Matthew Mott. Um, He is quite keen on Jofra Archer being a part of England's World Cup squad, even if he comes in, uh, you know back to full fitness later in the tournament. So he would only get a handful of games towards the latter half of the group stage. Now, Jofra Archer is someone who has been absolutely plagued with injuries, right, in the last few years. And it's just injury after injury for him. Yes, we all recognize the threat that he adds to England's bowling attack. And, you know, he, in my books, is the best bouncer in contemporary cricket. But I don't know if this is a wise call because, look, England, if they will, you know, prepare knowing that their frontline seamer is going to join the mid-tournament in the World Cup, why name him in the provisional World Cup squad? Like, it just doesn't add up for me. And then again, you're risking someone's career. Like, someone's got to think about Jofra over here. Yeah, I think the risking of Jofra, I don't think they'll do it unless they're sure he's going to be okay. Hmm. But I do think that they only won that 2019 World Cup because Jofra was fast-tracked through visa issues (laughs) into the team. Um, not that they weren't a fantastic team, and mm-hmm. I think we know they've been the best team now over the last eight years, but I think he was the difference that they needed. Mm. And I would assume Matthew Mott's looking at the team and thinks, again, that this is the difference. So I don't have any big issue with it unless they're brushing him back in and he's not ready. Mm. If you have him in the squad and he doesn't play and you get a couple of short niggly injuries, 
mm. I think you're in a lot of trouble. Don't get me wrong. I think that having these small squads for World Cups is so stupid and so yeah. tight by the ICC that really you should have a 22-person squad, I would have thought. or at the worst, 18 maybe at a, the minimum. 18 I was going to say 18, 18 or 19 mm. at the minimum um, is the sort of squad I would want to see for a World Cup. And so we, we seem to settle 15 like 30 years ago and nothing's changed. And some of teams have like 20,000 people in their squads, right? Uh, so yeah. it doesn't make a lot of sense to me from that perspective. So I, I think in a really small squad, you're taking a big risk if you're taking someone over who's not fit. Now, maybe halfway through, if he just doesn't come good, they can replace him anyway. But it mm. means that on certain days, they may not always have enough bowlers available for them in a particular game, which does seem like a risk to me. Uh, if they get to a point where it's really, really important, you know, you, these things take time to get replacements and, you know, get the ICC clarifications and all those sorts of mm. things happening. You, you know, you, you, we do see at major ICC events, sometimes teams only having to pick from 14 players because of these sorts of issues at times. I don't think that, um, uh, they have to really be smart about how they work all that. Out. And maybe there is a way to do it and I'm just not thinking of it, but I, I almost think that the better option maybe the more random rogue option is to not pick him. Mm-hmm. Tell him to prepare like he is going to play. And if they get an injury, bring him in. Yeah, I mean, I know that Pakistan has done similar things in the past. Okay. So, I mean, Jofra, look, who doesn't love to watch Jofra bowl? Mm-hmm. But I'm just afraid that we might lose him forever. So that's where my apprehension stems from, I suppose. Now, England's World Cup prep overall, you know, you look at what's coming up after the 100, right? You've got four T20s versus New Zealand. Makes absolutely no sense. Then, of course, you've got four ODIs versus New Zealand and three versus Ireland. But they're all in England. They're all Mm. in home conditions. So they haven't really given themselves the best opportunity to acclimatize to Asian conditions. And this is the defending champions we're talking about. So do you think that this planning and scheduling was apt? I mean, maybe they could have gone for, you know, an ODI series in Sri Lanka or something like that. I don't know. I know the Asia Cup as well is going on. But I think the Asia Cup Ireland is the and New issue, Zealand. isn't it? Yeah, Ireland and New Asia Zealand Cup, just doesn't seem yeah. like good prep. I think, so they played Bangladesh, what, mm. earlier this year, I want to say? Yeah. We were talking about it before. Um, and then it's a long period, obviously. And you're right. I think mm. we're going to have to get used to the fact, though, that major teams are not going to prepare the way that we always want. So the problem for England mm. is really that the, the, the World Cup comes so close to the end of their summer. And so they don't probably, I I reckon it was discussed, but they probably weren't sure about whether they should make their tour shorter, uh, sorry, their summer shorter to send their players overseas during the summer, which from mm. a financial point of view and a political point of view is, is a, probably a tricky thing. But then I think the Asia Cup is the other part of that. Yeah. Do uh, you know uh, that, that it just comes at the wrong time for them? But no, you're right. It's not great preparation. Um, I think think this is again when we we're talking about before of why you pick experienced players for major tournaments right is mm. because if they go to asia all these guys have played in asia yeah right i'm not True. saying that means they hit the ground running the way that maybe some other teams who have played in asia recently do but it shouldn't shouldn't be the reason they lose this tournament it may be the reason they start slightly slower hmm. yeah fair enough i mean also another thing is that the fact that they're running both the Hundi and the Royal One Day Cup simultaneously. And of course, not all the best players are available to play the Royal One Day Cup. So I'm not sure, you know, what the future of all format cricket is in England. It seems that the world might be moving away from ODIs. But that would personally kill me. I love ODIs. So I'm not sure um, where we're headed. Anyway, we have a super chat. So I'm going to take this one quickly. It's our 
favorite Oh, well, not favorite, but one of the guys who often sends a chat. And I, I don't he know. He downgraded him, him quickly. He was our favorite. Yeah. And now, he was. now you've, you've just Dhruv, flagged Dhruv him Raman Singh, you, you still are my favorite. I just, I'm clicking on this thing and it's not coming up. So maybe you Do try you and click it? on it. Yeah, uh, I'll read it out. Is competition level of Ranji Trophy adequate for, or, or adequate or is the talent spread too thin in so many teams? Will three division systems be better? Yeah, I think in, uh, there's no level of sport that divisions don't help because essentially what you want to be able to do is you want to make sure that there is some guy in some the, the far east of India, hmm. right, who, you know, not traditionally seen as a cricket hotspot. You still want them to have a team um, and you still want to know if there's anyone there that's any good. And so you don't mind if they stay in Division 3 for years, as as um, uh, Baran was talking about before. Yeah, hmm. inclusivity matters and diversity you hope that one of those guys comes good but essentially what you really don't want to do is is not know if anyone there can play cricket because you don't have them Mm. at the proper level if they sit in division three let's say let's say county cricket went to three divisions and um you would have teams like cornwall and devon um staffordshire maybe perhaps in division three you're not expecting any of them to go and win the title if they do it's a great story and you know, it helps you. But what you really want to make sure is that there isn't some kid in Cornwall who at 17 wasn't on the ECB's radar, mm. but at 19 has a growth spurt of half a foot and he ends up being six foot eight and he's bowling at, you know, 87 miles an hour and he swings it both ways. And it takes you too long to work out who he is and to get him into a professional setup. You want to know the first moment you, you can so you can get him in with all the best coaches. That's exactly the same with Ranji Trophy and everything else, right? So you want, you really want the best eight, let's say it's eight teams in Division 1 to be playing each other, because that gives you a really good idea if your best players are the best. You also want all the other teams to be playing against each other. So if anyone does pop up, you have the chance of bringing them to one of the better teams and developing them in the way that you want. You, what, what you don't really want is Mumbai playing... Um, God, who was that? You don't want Mumbai playing one of the uh, the Pondicherry team. Apologies mm. to my entire team who, who are from Pondicherry, but... Um, <laughs> You know, you don't want Mumbai playing them because that does. I don't think that helps Mumbai or Pondicherry hmm. particularly all that much. What you do want, though, is when a good player comes from Pondicherry, has the ability then to be drafted into other teams and moved up um, into a Division One team when they show talent. What you don't want is for Pondicherry not to have a team because they're not particularly good, um, and so you don't know if anyone from Pondicherry is any good at cricket. That's where cricket has traditionally gone wrong. Amen to that. And just on a closing note, I know you wanted to talk about Stephen Finn. Of course, he has retired from professional cricket. 125 wickets at test level and 570, if I'm not wrong, overall. That's quite a decent career. Of course, injury and mental health issues also plagued his career career a bit. You obviously followed it a bit more closely. So the floor is yours, Jared. Give us an ode to Stephen Finn. (laughs) So basically, I want to ask a question. And this is Mm. of all my audience um, and yourself included, Baron. But has there ever been a player as talented as Stephen Finn who was affected by one other player as much as Stephen Finn, right? So Graham Smith, as a gamesmanship thing, it didn't bother Graham Smith that Stephen Finn was knocking off the bales, but as a gamesmanship, thi- a gamesmanship thing to annoy Stephen <laughs> Finn, he basically said, oh, how could I face? The bales are falling off. How could I face this ball? You know, it completely ruined Stephen Finn as a top-level te- uh, bowler. I do think that there is an issue with Steve, Stephen Finn basically bowled in one of the best batting eras of all time and missed out when everyone else in the world was getting good at bowling. His bowling average mm. of 30 between 2010 and 20, um, 2016 is fantastic in mm-hmm. test cricket for that era. 
right? And Grant Smith maybe was the reason he couldn't come back after that. But it is a really interesting one when you, you focus in on that. There's only two other cricketers I could think of. Darren Daryl Cullinan is not thought of as good a cricketer as he should be because of what Shane mm-hmm. Warne did to him. And mm-hmm. if you look at Cullen's overall figures, he was a fantastic player. And the other player I thought of was Stian Van Sale, who mm. I think went up against Ashland as a left-hander. I think I think I've got all those details. I think it was Stian that, that that it was. There was certainly there was a South African left-hander who just kept playing against Ashwin early on in his career and, of course, kept getting dismissed and completely ruined him. And, and that was the end <laughs> of him as, as a test cricketer. Um, and it's very rare for one player to have such a big impact on him. So if anyone else can um, can come up with another player who's been as affected um, in their career by one player as Stephen Finmore's, I would love to know of that story. But I really do think that had that not happened, I think he had in 2016... His bowling average was only slightly higher than Broad and Anderson. And he's younger mm. than Broad and Anderson. And he was faster than Broad and Anderson. And he was a natural wicket taker. My question is, if you could have kept his body fit and Graham Smith hadn't have ruined his bowling action, what mm. would Steve, uh, Stephen Finn done with the wobble ball? And would we have seen as mm. much of Broad and Anderson if that's the case? There's so many what-ifs with Stephen Finn's career. But feel free to put as many comments as you want in, below. You know, Tag me on Twitter or, or, uh, or on threads. I think I'm on threads. <laughs> um, all these different things. But I think it's a really, really fascinating one uh, just from that perspective of one player infecting them. And that's why I brought him up. It's okay, Barham. You don't have to have any opinions on Stephen Finn. Yeah, all I'll say is that uh, Graham Smith also had an adverse effect on Stuart Broad, but he survived. So there's that. But um, yeah, I mean, I loved his bowling action. I think he gave England some very good moments, particularly in the 2015 Ashes. And yeah, I mean, he seems like a top bloke. And I hope that he has a very fruitful career behind the mic as well, because it seems like he has that sort of skill set as well. Yeah, quite quite a good good podcast as well. Zero Ducks Given, if you haven't listened to it, with uh, (laughs) Daniel Norcross and and the other guy, whose name I've forgotten, something Tarrant. Hmm. I, I, I don't know. But anyway, I think that is a good place to end this Uncovered podcast. I hope everyone had fun. And yeah, that's it from me, Behram Kazi. You can find me at Def Mango on Twitter. And with me as well was Jared Kimber. Thank you for your time as well, Jared. We'll catch you again next week with another, another episode of Uncovered. Until then, that'll be all. Goodbye. Thanks for listening. This podcast has an ad-free version via Patreon, where there are many other extras as well, including a Discord channel. There's a link to those in the show notes. Please review, subscribe, and tell all your friends about our show. Word of mouth is the best way of making our podcast grow. If we had a guest on, chances are their socials are in the show notes. Please support everyone who comes on this show. I am Jared Kimber, and this is my network. But we also have hosts and co-hosts like Barat Sundaresan and Bayram Kazi. This network is overseen by Nick McCorriston. Each episode is produced by Ishit Kuberka at Sound Potion Studio. The team from 42 help us out with the video side. Orijoti Sainapayu and Maida Akam, both producing podcasts, while Mukunda Bandredi is the head of our YouTube content. Do you make content but don't want to listen to yourself talk? Well, I get that. Memento FM's AI does all the listening for you. It picks out the highlights and it makes you sound far more amazing than you really are. Embrace Memento FM today. Podcast Network. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. 
From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.